Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani, and I wanted to let you know that each and every week I'm part of a great program called the Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mendenhall and Pete Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We're going to be joined by Zach Cox in just a little bit. We'll get into the Gerard Mayo press conference from, of course, Wednesday afternoon. A couple of notes on that. First of all, Gerard Mayo did an interview with Steve Burton and a little bit of interesting news there in terms of what he revealed. He said when he was asked about the draft coming up, he said, what I'll say is this, we're going to draft the best player for a position that is very important. You put the pieces together, which Zach and I had a conversation about what the Patriots are going to do with this number three pick. I've said for weeks, they need to be taking a quarterback. So that was good to hear Mayo even joke around about that a little bit. And then the other note is we talked with Zach before the news of Mike McCarthy, where Dallas is not making a coaching change. This was from Adam Schefter on Wednesday night. I hate this. I absolutely hate this from a Patriots perspective and from a Bill Belichick perspective, because as I've said, and I did this the other day on the pod, this was the most intriguing destination for Bill Belichick, and now he's not going to Dallas. I don't know what the hell the Cowboys are doing, but... Jerry Jones, this guy continues to let Mike McCarthy continue to coach when they choke. They did it with Jason Garrett. So I guess this is just his thing. Best coaching class available right now in terms of Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel and Jim Harbaugh, Ben Johnson. They're good with Mike McCarthy. Congratulations. The same thing will happen to the Cowboys next season. But anyway, so I'm upset about that. I did want to mention this briefly. Sean McAdam had an article at Mass Live on what was it, Tuesday? So we didn't have a chance to talk about it yet. So I just wanted to mention some of the things in here. So we, of course, have been pissed that Tom Warner made the comment that the Sox were, quote, full throttle this offseason. He made that comment at Craig Breslow's press conference. Since then, the Red Sox have done close to nothing. They traded for Tyler O'Neill and they signed Lucas Giolito. So Warner talks with Sean McAdam of Mass Live. So he was asked about the full throttle comment. He said, maybe that wasn't the most artful way of saying what I wanted to say, which is that we're going to be pressing all levers to improve the team. I have a question about this. 
what is the fucking difference? You said you're full throttle. Now you're saying you're pressing all the levers. I, I don't really understand what the difference is in terms of what Tom Warner said and now what he's trying to clarify in terms of his comments. He went on to say, we felt very strongly that we're going to compete for, or I should say, we felt very strongly that we were going to compete for Yamamoto services. But in the end, he went to another team. But we felt we were in the mix and we were going to be very competitive. Okay, so first of all, if this is true, what Tom Warner is saying, like if he actually truly believes what he's saying, the Red Sox and their ownership group are the only people that believe that. So he is lying. This is not true. There's no chance they thought they were in the market for Yamamoto. No Red Sox fan thought they were in the market for Yamamoto. Nobody across the sport thought they were in for Yamamoto. Yet Tom Warner says we were up there for their, his services. No, you weren't. Stop. It's a lie. Okay. He goes on to say, we certainly aren't happy with the current roster as it was at the end of last year. So if I was going to say it again, going back to his comments that he clearly wants to clarify, I would say that we're going to be pressing all levers and we weren't going to be happy with just one method. That includes free agency, trade, or talent from AAA, AA. I think that's what I meant. It's the same thing. I don't know what he's trying to explain. And this makes it look worse, trying to explain this comment. So you haven't made any trades with the exception of Tyler O'Neill. What are you talking about? This is the same stuff. It's the same point that you made when you said full throttle, except you're changing up the language a little bit. I don't, I don't really understand what you're trying to prove here. It just, to me, it makes it look worse. Okay. And by the way, to Tom Warner and the rest of the Red Sox ownership group, John Henry, etc., you could have improved the roster. You didn't pay Teoscar Hernandez. And Yamamoto, you guys were in on him. These two guys went to the same team. After they signed the biggest free agent on the market in Otani. And I know like the, they delayed the payments and all that. But this is a team that has Mookie Betts, that has Freddie Freeman, that has Walker Bueller, that has all these guys, right? And by the way, traded for Tyler Glass now. They got these two free agents. These were two free agents that apparently the Red Sox were interested in. Yamamoto, like I said, I don't buy it. But Teoscar Hernandez... We knew that was out there, that the Red Sox were interested in him. You didn't do anything. You didn't do anything whatsoever. And you, so you could have improved your roster, but you didn't do anything with those players that we mentioned. But on the other hand, this is what he says. What's important is our record at the end of the season. Whoever we spend the most money or whoever spends the most money in free agency doesn't necessarily hoist the World Series trophy at the end of the year. Yeah, no shit, but it actually helps. Like, look at what the Rangers did last year, right? But anyway, here's the whole point with this is you're saying this. It doesn't mean that, hey, if we spend the most money, we win a World Series. But you can do something. You can make some moves. The Red Sox had clear holes that have been identified. They have no right-handed power. 79 home runs from right-handed hitters last year, 26 in Major League Baseball. So the answer is Trevor Story and Tyler O'Neill who Tyler O'Neill has dealt with injuries the past couple of seasons, so he had nine home runs and 14 home runs. I'm hoping that he has a bounce-back season and stays healthy because he did hit 30 home runs in 2021, but the last two seasons he hasn't stayed healthy. Story is always hurt. 43 games and 94 the year before. So hopefully you say, hey, Brian, it's an elbow thing. He'll be right this upcoming season, but he's had a bunch of injuries since he joined the Red Sox organization, so I can't depend on that. You had a bat that was out there. Did you get him? No, you didn't. And he was available. Okay. The other big weakness with this team, we've talked about it multiple times on the pod. We talked it throughout last season when 
it became really pathetic for this team. The starters for the Red Sox, 27th in innings. 27th in innings. You got Giolito. Okay, Giolito can't eat up innings. That's true. 184 and a third last year, 21st in Major League Baseball. That's good. But if you look at the Red Sox starters last year, they were 26th in home runs per nine innings from their starters. Okay, 26 at 1.51. Not good. Lucas Giolito last season, and I like the signing from a depth perspective, right? But let me get to my point here. Giolito, 2.00 home runs per nine. Only Lance Lynn was worst among qualified starters. He gave up 41 bombs last season, okay? Now, hopefully they can get the fastball right because there was some real issues. We mentioned this when they signed Giolito with the velocity last season. Like, he had issues with his fastball. So, and I shouldn't say velocity. He just, his fastball dipped off at the end of the season. So hopefully they can get that right. And I like the idea of an innings eater, but you needed a real legitimate top end of the rotation starter. Lucas Giolito's not that. He doesn't fix your problem, right? So you really haven't done anything when we're talking about right-handed power. You haven't added that. And then secondarily, the one answer to your rotation is just somebody that is basically a mid-rotation guy. That's what you've added in the offseason so far if you're the Red Sox. Okay, Warner goes on to say, I guess the message is that we're confident that we're going to field a competitive team and that we're going to let Craig do what he does best, which is build. Okay, so they have the faith in the front office that in Craig Breslow that he can build this thing up and they're confident that they're going to field a competitive team. Now, when he says they're confident that they're going to have a competitive team this year, he says this, they're confident they're going to have a competitive team. I would say based on what? Why are you confident you're going to have a competitive team? Your rotation, you don't have a top of the roast end of the rotation guy right now. Now, maybe Bayo develops into, he's a good pitcher. He's not an ace right now. You haven't added enough to that rotation. You don't have enough right-handed power. And oh, by the way, you suck defensively. So what tells me that you think you're going to have a competitive team? There's no proof of concept, right? It's not like, oh, you're returning all these guys from last year. Great. No, you, they sucked last year. And he's telling us they think they're going to have a competitive team. Based on what? I could buy this answer if you had gotten a proven top out of the rotation starter and Teoscar Hernandez. And even that is probably not good enough to win the division, but at least you show us you're being competitive. They haven't shown us anything. So based on what we know right now about where everything stands in the division, this looks like a last place team. Now, you can always make a trade, and I open that. I want to see this happen. I don't want to sit around and have an irrelevant baseball team again this season and have a relevant baseball again for, they haven't had a relevant team since 2021. That's two seasons. That's not acceptable for the Boston Red Sox. So my whole thing with this is they uh, Tom Warner is acting like they are going to have a competitive team. He's just saying what he thinks fans want to hear. Everybody can see through the comments, right? It's just, it's incredible to me. Now, I should mention this. McAdam added that a source said that John Henry was not expected to attend the winter weekend because of a scheduling issue. He doesn't care about the baseball team anymore. This is the owner of the team, and he's not going to winter weekend because of a scheduling issue. Last year, when he's up there getting booed, he's looking at his watch for time. Do you th think about it from this perspective? If the Celtics had an event like this, you think Wick would have a scheduling issue? You think Steve Ballmer of the Clippers, you see his press conference, you think those guys would have scheduling issues? No, they care. They care about the team. The problem is at this particular point in time, this Red Sox ownership group does not care like it once did. Clearly, 
and they're spitting out nonsense to try to make us believe they were in, in on Yamamoto, and they're trying to make us believe that they're going to have a competitive team right now. Unless something dramatically changes and they land some ace in a trade or they sign somebody, I just don't see how that's remotely possible, and any smart fan wouldn't buy that whatsoever, right? And the fact that the owner of the team isn't even going to show up at winter weekend is pathetic. They already canceled the Q&A, the town hall meeting, because they didn't want to get booed again. That is incredibly soft, which, by the way, brings me to Tom Warner's next comment. He says, I'm not hiding from anybody. And I share the frustration that the fans have about our performance the last two years and were resolute about being competitive this year. No, you're not. You're not competitive right now. You're not committed to being competitive right now. He also says, I'm not hiding from anybody. You're doing an article with one reporter and you're not taking questions from fans at Winter Weekend. The Q&A is now removed. You guys actually, and the principal owner, John Henry, isn't going to Winter Weekend. You actually are legitimately hiding from the fans. You are hiding. You legitimately are. It's unbelievable to me. So perfect. You guys have done nothing. You tried, though. And you didn't even try. You're telling us you tried. Oh, you know, it just doesn't work out. And by the way, good for McAdam. Like, this is great stuff. If you're Sean McAdam, great stuff, great article. I just, I feel like it's pathetic. Warner, to me, this whole thing, this article that Sean McAdam had, great article. And if you haven't read it, I encourage you because, and I went through basically the biggest quotes here, but this is shocking, okay? This made him look worse. Like, he was being mocked for his full throttle comments, going back and trying to clarify these, and saying stuff that is just complete bullshit that anybody in the fan base knows is not true, makes it look worse. Like, the full throttle comment was bad. This makes you look worse. It's incredible to me. Oh, unbelievable. Okay, so quick transition before we get to Zach to the good team in town, and the Bruins are good too, but the Celtics improve, of course. The Bees, they're, they've been really good this year. The Celtics have been really good this year. Red Sox and Patriots, different scenario, right? And we'll get to the Patriots in a second because I actually feel more optimistic about them going into the future right now than the Red Sox with this ownership group. But nonetheless, just with the Celtics, they get to 20-0 and at home, which is awesome. By the way, entering tonight, 124.2 offensive rating at home, first in the NBA, of course. 15.6 net rating, first in the NBA. They are blowing teams out. In the first half at home this season, they were averaging prior to tonight 63.9 points, first tonight 70, 9.2 made threes, first tonight 13 against the San Antonio team that is just pathetic. 51.4% field goal percentage first, tonight 60 in the first half, and then 42% from three in the first half this season at home, 68.4% tonight. I mean, there were lights out, right? So... And by the way, six players on the Celtics entering tonight are shooting north of 40% at home. Hauser, Horford, White, Jalen, Drew, Pritchard. I really do appreciate this. Like, the players are into protecting this. And of course, the big one comes up on Friday night against Denver. But they're big into this. The crowd is into this. The Celtics have struggled in the past at home in postseason games. We talked about that with B-Rob the other day. So it's great to see. And Another great thing about the Celtics is they blow out bad teams. So they're now 13-1 and against teams in the bottom 10 in point differential. That only loss was that weird Charlotte game. And if you look at the numbers entering tonight via cleaning the glass, 121.8 offensive rating, a 105.5 defensive rating, plus 16.3 net. And you can say, well, hey, Brian, you're supposed to blow out bad teams. Yes, but they didn't always do this last year. 
They would play around with their food and they'd lose games like a random game to Chicago Orlando, when Orlando wasn't good, right? OKC was not a great team last year. They were losing to them by like 50 points. They lost to the awful Rockets last year. So this is something I appreciate. The fact that they are taking this seriously against a team like the Spurs or whoever it is, and they just blow them out. They don't mess around anymore. Okay, just a couple of things I wanted to mention briefly. I like the fact that Drew Holiday, back-to-back games now at 22 points. The other night, and we talked about this briefly, is... When a guy is out of the lineup, you see Drew being more aggressive. We saw that two nights ago, or I should say, what, Monday night at this particular point in time, the game against the Raptors, and then we saw it in this game against the Spurs where he goes 8 of 14, he's 6 of 7 from deep, 22 points. So now the last two games for Drew, he's 15 of 28 from the field, 53.6%. He's 10 of 13 from deep, 76.9% after the 6 of 7 tonight, 44 points, back-to-back games of 22 points. And I just feel like it's important for Drew, all you ask him to do defensively, right? He sacrificed so much, so I love to see him have back-to-back big games offensively because it's something we don't always get to see with Drew Holiday because, of course, he has a more important role where he's like the quarterback of this defense. So I'm just happy that Drew gets this opportunity. One thing I wanted to mention about Jalen because we talked about Jalen a ton lately. So there was this one play in the first quarter where he just went through Sohan in the lane and hit a little floater, if you will, but he was able to absorb the contact and hit it at the time and made the game 25-17. So I was like, you know what? He's really, whenever he gets into the paint and the non-restricted area, right? So a lot of people call it like the upper paint. So anywhere in the paint that's not in the restricted area, like it feels like he never misses from there. So I looked at when he kind of had this big stretch so far this season where at the beginning of December, that's when he really started to come on. And if you look at since the beginning of December, entering tonight, 51 of 86 in that upper paint area, if you will, 59.3%, which is just a wild number. Of players with at least 60 attempts during that stretch, only Chet, who is a five, and Tyus Jones, who does have a great floater game, but I'm surprised Tyus Jones is there. Only those guys had better numbers in that area. So that just shows you how elite he is in that area. By the way, tonight... Three of six from there, it actually hurt his numbers a little bit. But that is something that is really good going forward with the Celtics team. Uh, Just a slight digression. Ordinarily, I don't talk about other teams that much. But Greg Popovich, man, I don't know what's going on with that team. And I tweeted out, I feel like legitimately bad for Wemby. And I know that they don't want to rush things along or like that. Like they don't want to rush you to make a dumb trade. We've seen organizations do that before, like the Pelicans did with Anthony Davis, where they were just going all in trying to win right away. I totally understand that. But man, they haven't helped this guy at all this season. You look at the Spurs played 465 minutes. This is prior to this game, of course, with Wemby and Sohan on the floor together without Trey Jones, their point guard, because they weren't starting Trey Jones. And during that stretch, they had a 102.4 offensive rating. Portland has the league's worst offense at 107.1. When they play all three guys together, and the numbers are going to come down after this one tonight because the Celtics just kicked the shit out of them, but 174 minutes, a 117.8 offensive rating with Trey Jones, Sohan not playing point guard, and Wemby on the floor together. That 117.8 rating would rank eighth in the NBA. They also are outscoring teams by 6.3 points per 100 with those three guys on the court. Like I said, some of these numbers will change after tonight, but if you look at that net rating of 6.3, Only the Celtics, the Thunder, and the 76ers have a rating north of six. (laughs) So they've been really good when they just play a point guard and they play those guys all together. 
So I just don't understand why Popovich thought he could reinvent the wheel and not play in the NBA with a point guard. I mean, this is the same guy that said he hated threes a couple of years ago. Another thing he tried to do is he tried to play Wemby and Zach Collins together. Now, Collins is injured right now, but they had a 104.3 offensive rating together. Again, Portland lasts in the NBA at 107.1. So I guess they were trying to protect them from the physicality of the NBA. Like, it's not the 1990s. This guy is a five. Why would you ever play a guy that is, what, seven foot four at the four? Not to mention his best defensive position is the five because he can roam around and he can block shots, right? Like, to... The whole thing that Popovich is doing with that team, it's just a disaster. I mean, we talk about Bill sort of losing it as it pertains to drafting and all that, right? But Popovich, this guy hit the lottery, literally hit the lottery with Wemby. The rest of that team stinks. They are horrible. So that was a tough watch watching that. Like, I legit, this is one of the great young stars in the NBA. That dude's an absolute stud. I watched him the other night in that game again, or the other day, I should say afternoon game against Atlanta on Monday. He was awesome. He brought them back. They were down by like 30 and he basically didn't miss a shot in the second half. That guy is so good. They get to figure something out with that roster because that is wasting a great player. And I know this is his rookie season and we can see what the Spurs do down the road, but not playing a point guard and playing Wemby at the five tells you, hey, maybe this coach is kind of losing it. All right. A lot more to get into coming up next. You'll hear from Zach Cox from Nesson. After an incredible NFL Super Wild Card weekend, we're on to the divisional round. For these teams, it's win or go home. But you'll always have a spot in the playoffs with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel has so many ways for you to pick up a W. All right, and I'm looking at the game of the week in the NFL, the Bills and the Chiefs. This is a game that we've seen in the playoffs multiple times. Can the Bills finally get over the hump? My answer is yes. So how about this? I have a same game parlay for the Bills and the Chiefs plus 386. I like the Bills on the money line. I like Josh Allen, 25 rushing yards. He had 74 last week. That's an alternate line. I like Dalton Kincaid, over 38 and a half receiving yards. Last three games, 77, 84, and 59 in the playoff game. He's turning into a real stud in that offense. I like Rache Rice. We're going back to the well on this one. Alternate 50 receiving yards. That hit for us last week. He went for 130. He's been north of 50 in seven straight games. That's a four-leg same-game parlay. Bills on the money line. Josh Allen, 25 rushing yards. Kincaid, over 38.5 receiving yards. And Rache Rice, 50 receiving yards. So if you want to follow my picks, go to FanDuel right now. New customers get started with $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com Pike to join today. That's FanDuel.com Pike. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. We watched the Gerard Mayo introductory press conference today. Joining us now to break that all down, it is Zach Cox. Zach, what's going on, man? How are you? Uh, I'm good, Brian. Thanks for having me back. It's been a little while. Yeah, well, we got a lot to talk about, man. This offseason is obviously already off to a crazy start with Belichick mutually parting ways. Right away, we get the news that Gerard Mayo is the next head coach of the team. And then today, we finally get Wednesday, we finally get the press conference from Gerard Mayo. All right, so let's start with the biggest piece of news that came from the press conference. 
He calls Robert Kraft Thunder or Thundercat. I guess he basically said Young Thunder because he has a young heart. I guess that's the rationale behind the nickname. He called him that, I think, every time he referred to Kraft in the press conference. I had people text me like, who is Thunder when the press conference is going on? Why does he call him Thunder? So I guess that's basically the only rationale he gave us, right? Young Heart, is that what you picked up from that? So what do you make of the nickname? Yeah, I think it was Young Thundercat is the full, uh, the full complete nickname. Uh, don't, not really sure what that's all about, where that came from. It's not something I've personally ever heard before. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a little surprising watching that press conference. Uh, you thought it was maybe a little like kind of throwaway joke, like an inside joke at the beginning. And then, yeah, every time he referred to, to Robert Kraft, it was, yeah, you know, me and Thunder were, were talking earlier about the vision for the team. I was like, oh, I, I guess this is going to be a thing. I guess Robert Kraft <laughs> is uh, no more RKK. He is now Thunder. So, I mean, if you're if you're asking for nicknames for yourself, Thunder is a pretty good nickname. So I'm sure Kraft is uh, is OK with that. Thunder is definitely solid. My hunch is that Bill Belichick didn't have a nickname for Robert Kraft. I'm guessing that he just called him Robert. I don't think that he had any nicknames for Robert Kraft. All right. Yeah, so, Robert or just kind of a general grunt in his direction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, too. All right. So there was a clear effort to recognize that Bill had an influence on Mayo, but also he wanted to separate himself from Bill, I thought. He joked around at the beginning where he said when he took the job in the business world at Optum that he needed a break from Bill. That was why he went to the business world before coming back to coach. He also mentioned titles are important to him with his coaching staff, and he said that's no knock on Bill. He also said he's not trying to be Bill, which I think that's smart, but I also think the coaching staff is important, that he mentioned that, that titles are important, because obviously he lived in this Patriots coaching staff world where at times there weren't titles, right? I mean, we've seen it multiple times throughout the Belichick era, so I think he was trying to give Bill his due praise, but I also think it's important, too, like he's the new head coach of the team. He has to have his own philosophies on things, and He's been around when other guys experience things where they didn't have the title of, oh, I don't know, defensive coordinator, that he thinks that's important. So I did like that he came out and he said that right away. I, I did think it's funny that he said, that's ah, no knock on Bill. Yeah, I think it was the, the main theme of the press conference to me was, uh, as you mentioned, kind of paying respect to Bill Belichick. Uh, I'm sure what Mayo learned under Bill is going to influence a, a lot of what he did just because he spent so much time under him, both as a player and as a coach. And given Belichick's stature, uh, you'd be an idiot to not use that to kind of inform your future decisions. Uh, but it was very clear from him that he's both one saying, I'm not going to be Bill, which a lot of former Patriots assistants have kind of tried to stress when they get new head coaching jobs. Not all of them uh, are able to succeed in that uh, as well as they would like. But also just from an organizational structural standpoint, you mentioned the coaching staff. It does sound like he plans to hire an official offensive coordinator, an official defensive coordinator, an official special teams coordinator, which, uh, yeah, you, you mentioned he says titles are important. Belichick specifically said in the previous couple of off seasons, titles are not important. We don't care <laughs> about titles here. So that was a pretty stark departure. Uh, and then even beyond that, just talking about how he wants to structure the overall football operation. Uh, he mentioned that he doesn't like echo chambers. He wants to have people around him uh, that are going to question him and question his decisions. Uh, that was a big knock on Bill Belichick over the last couple of years that it really seemed like he 
did not have enough dissenting opinions around him uh, in decision-making positions, uh, be that younger assistant coaches or front office guys that kind of came up in his system. It was basically, uh, it led to an environment where Bill Belichick just wasn't really questioned, I think, as much as he should have been. Uh, Sounds like Gerard Mayo wants to do away with a lot of that. Uh, And then the other line that stood out to me was he plans to rebuild some relationships, knock down some silos and collaborate. Uh, Saying all those things kind of infers the fact that that was not the case previously, that there were relationships that were fractured and now need to be rebuilt and that there were silos built up between whether that's different areas of the coaching staff, whether that's coaching staff versus personnel department, coaching staff versus roster, wherever you want to draw those lines. It's clear that Mayo looked at this organization from being in it for the last couple of years and said, it's too much. Everybody is in their own box. We need to bring everybody back together. Obviously, that's easier said than done. And we didn't get a ton of specifics as to how that's all going to work. Uh, But yeah, it's pretty clear that he uh, is not going to be beholden to Belichick's structure or Belichick's philosophy here. Yeah, and I thought the echo chambers line was a really good one because that goes all the way back too to like the front office stuff. Mike Reese followed up with him after I was watching the interview on ESPN that Mike Reese had one on one. And he was basically saying like everything Bill was in charge of everything. He doesn't want that to be the case. He's a first year head coach and he wants to have feedback from those other guys within the organization. So before we get into some of the housekeeping stuff with Mayo, like we've seen the Belichick disciples fail, whether it's McDaniels, whether it is Romeo Cornell, whether it's Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, all these guys we've seen leave. I mean, the guy that was probably the most successful was Bill O'Brien, who was, what, 52 and 48. I do feel like Mayo is different, though, because he's also a player, right? Like, he was his own guy. He didn't come up under Bill Belichick as a head coach, or excuse me, as an assistant coach. He first came up as a player, right? I mean, we saw the same thing with Vrabel, not that Vrabel had a, not that Vrabel coached under Bill, but I do feel like it's different with Mayo because he was his own personality before he became a guy that was working under Bill. So I do feel like that sort of separates him from the rest of these other coaches. And I could tell immediately in the first press conference that he's not going to do what Josh did. He's not going to do what Matt Patricia did. He's not going to try to be mini Bill. In fact, if anything else, I think he's already trying to separate himself from some of Bill's philosophies, which I was really encouraged by because I don't think that you can replicate what Bill did. And especially now, like for a new head coach, it's one thing for a Bill to do it at a different place after winning six Super Bowls. I don't think anybody like nowadays with younger athletes, I don't think you can do it the way that Bill did it for so many years. So if anything, I felt more optimistic about Gerard Mayo as a coach after the press conference. How did you feel? Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think it's, again, a very clear theme of this press conference was trying to separate himself from Bill Belichick, or, or maybe not separate himself, but stressing that the way that Bill did things is not going to be the way that Gerard Mayo does things. Uh, I, I think it was notable that he stressed multiple times in this press conference that He's really big on on the people aspect uh, of football, uh, the relationships, the kind of behind the scenes, the the stuff that's not strictly related to, hey, you have to block this guy on this play. Uh, it's about kind of nurturing those off the field relationships and, and recognizing the fact that all of these players are people with lives outside of football and outside of the building. And uh, I mean, from talking to players the last couple of years, that's been a big 
uh, emphasis on, on what he was already trying to do as as a, a linebackers coach and sort of co-defensive coordinator. Uh, and, and that's something that people really kind of raved about and said was a, a strength of his. So uh, and obviously with Bill Belichick, that wasn't really the case uh, for he, he was famous for basically treating everybody the same. It's something that uh, pissed Brady off later in his career. It's uh, it's kind of you're all a cog in the Patriots machine. Uh, and that seems pretty different from the way uh, that Gerard Mayo is going to view um, view his responsibilities here. Yeah, and I just think, too, like these guys that go to different organizations from the Patriots, if you don't have the Bill Belichick resume, you weren't the main guy. It's very difficult to have his style as a head coach, right, in terms of building relationships. All right, so I did want to get to this because I thought it was maybe one of the most important things that Robert Kraft said, and that was the fact that in 1997 – he regretted not hiring Bill Belichick and he didn't, I don't even think he mentioned Pete Carroll, but hiring Pete Carroll because he thought Bill could be the guy. And instead he had a coaching search. So he compared this situation with Gerard Mayo to that same thing. And it's interesting to me because one of the guys out there, he does have a relationship with and Mike Vrabel, but I wonder too, if this is sort of like his business philosophy, where he looks at it from the perspective of, okay, we had this guy here, we developed him. I've had, as a coach, I've had a relationship with him going back to when he was a first round pick of ours and he was the, def- I think he was the defensive rookie of the year, wasn't he? I believe yeah. he was. Yeah, so he, he was. the defensive rookie of the year. Kraft talked about the relationship that they've built where it's like, I feel Kraft looks at this and says, okay, if I just do a couple interviews with somebody else. Now, Mike Vrabel's a unique character in this because Kraft obviously was just sitting with him when he went into the Patriots ring of honor or the Patriots Hall of Fame and all that. So I guess that is the one guy that maybe it would have made sense to talk to. But I really think this is more about Kraft doesn't want to bring in other people and whether or not that's the right philosophy. But that's kind of what I got from this is that Kraft has a lot of faith in Mayo because he's been around him so long. And no matter how many interviews you do, you're not going to have that same relationship with the other guy. And I'm not saying whether that's philosophy is right or wrong. Like from my perspective, like yeah, maybe talk to Vrabel, maybe talk to Jim Harbaugh, right? Like these are really good coaches. But I think that is what's behind just promoting Mayo after putting the succession plan thing in his contract. Yeah, kind of a ricochet shots at both Bill Parcells and Pete Carroll in that answer yeah. that uh, that Kraft gave, basically saying, yeah, like, I really hated working with that last guy. And obviously, the next guy we got didn't really work out. So I regret not making that move at the time. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really a I mean, Kraft even said it. He said, I, I went with my gut and it's a gamble. It's absolutely a gamble installing a guy who even someone as well-liked and well-respected as Gerard Mayo is installing a first-time head coach who has never done the job before without evaluating options that could potentially be better options. It, if it doesn't work, it's going to be a very easy second guess saying, why don't you at least like bring in a couple other guys in, get some differing perspectives, maybe uh, maybe kind of maybe you'll be surprised during the interview process and say, man, we, we really love Gerard, but we we can't pass on X, Y, Z. So I, I think that's a, going to be a valid second guess if this doesn't work out. Um, but it was clear that this was what uh, Robert Kraft wanted to do. According to him, he's known for several years that he wanted Gerard Mayo to, to succeed Bill Belichick. Uh, it's another part of the the risky move aspect of it is that according to all reports this wasn't supposed to happen this year uh the plan was for this to happen next year at the earliest 
uh, because ideally, if the Patriots hadn't completely bottomed out this year, maybe Belichick has a chance to catch Shula in New England next season, then retire, then Gerard Mayo steps in as the kind of more seamless succession plan. Obviously, the way the season transpired pushed everything up a little bit. So uh, you're trusting a guy that, even though you wanted to, again, hasn't done the job before and is doing the job a year before you wanted him to be doing it. So there's a lot of risk involved in this decision, but it was very clear that Kraft said he really didn't waver uh, from everything that we've heard and everything that he said. He said, hey, Mayo's my guy. I'm going with him, even though the uh, the path to get there might have looked a little bit differently than I'd planned. Yeah, I'm with you, too. And because I look at it from the perspective of, OK, well, when new information is presented, like they wanted Mayo to be the head coach then you have to alter your thought process, right? When a three-time Super Bowl champ from the Patriots is available and Mike Vrabel is a proven head coach, that makes it a little bit more interesting. And if it was just a clean break from Belichick after next season, but we have a historic like market for coaches, right? The guys we mentioned, Jim Harbaugh, Vrabel, like Pete Carroll may not even get a job and this guy's won a Super Bowl and a national championship. So I think it's a unique a set of circumstances. And I certainly don't, I thought that they would at least talk to other guys, but that's, I just the reason I mentioned that earlier is I just think that's probably what Kraft decided is he made up his mind and this is how he handles his business and this is how he's going to handle the Patriots. And you're right. I mean, this is a massive risk because if Rabel goes to somewhere and has success, Harbaugh goes somewhere and has. And look, maybe Harbaugh wouldn't even want the job, but I think Vrabel's the one that we're always going to be comparing things to Belichick, right? Not that anybody can live up to that standard, but what Bill does is in his next place. But I also think in some in some areas, we're going to be saying, hey, what is Vrabel doing his next place as well when we talk about Mayo? All right, I did want to move to the front office stuff because Kraft was asked, who will have the final say in personnel? And he said, in the short term, we're looking for collaboration. That's the buzzword from the press conference. Before the key decisions need to be made, we will appoint someone. Okay, he also said he wants to vet the holdovers thoroughly before external candidates. But if you look at this now... It's kind of risky to do that, right? Because these external, like you never got to talk to Adam Peters. He was off the board and he was considered to be the best guy on the market. He's off the board. So I think there is a little bit of a risk there. And the other thing that I would say is the front office, this is so important for the Patriots going forward here. The biggest problem that Bill's had recently is the drafting, is the free agency. I mean, we've gone over it countless times. So all these guys were brought in by Bill that are working in, the front office right now. So the crafts, or at least Robert making this known today that this is the idea. How do we know? How do you know that these guys are good? How do you know that these guys weren't giving Bill some of the information that wasn't great? I mean, 2023, I feel pretty good about that draft when we're talking about Gonzalez and Keon White to Mario Douglas has been a fine. If you look back to 2022, I mean, you essentially got nothing out of that draft, right? That was just two years ago. So to me, this was the more concerning thing where it's like, oh, are we going to see what we got in-house? And, you know, there had been some reporting that they'll just let Elliot Wolf and Matt Groh, like, essentially run the draft. Is that what you think is ultimately going to happen? Is it just Elliot Wolf and Matt Groh running things? Because to me, like, at least Elliot Wolf has a different background where he was with the Packers and he was with the Browns before coming here. But the Groh thing, that, like, scares the shit out of me. It, yeah, and that's what it sounds like. Uh, it would not be... There are examples in the past of a team making a regime change, changing the coach, letting the previous front office go through the draft, and then making some changes uh, at the GM level and in the, the personnel department. 
you can see kind of the rationale behind it because, hey, these guys, you, you have a whole department that's been doing work, preparing for this draft for a whole year. Maybe you feel better about that than bringing in a new guy uh, and his whole staff and having them cram for two, three months. Uh, that said, uh, I share your concern about if Matt Groh is the one leading this whole draft process. Uh, as you mentioned, that 2022 one was his first draft in that in that level. It's always kind of nebulous of who, I mean, obviously Bill had the final say, but what the kind of hierarchy was below him there. But I've heard that he was the one really driving the uh, the Taekwon Thornton pick, uh, mm. which kind of has to be a little bit concerning given what they need at wide receiver this offseason and just how many of the moves they've made in recent offseasons, uh, excluding obviously some of the, the seemingly promising picks they made last year, just didn't work out. So you're basically with this setup, it's Kraft saying, I think Bill was the problem, basically. Remove yeah. Bill, everything else stays the same we're going to improve. And maybe that is the case. Maybe this really leads to some true collaboration that wasn't there in the past where uh, kind of differing viewpoints lead to uh, to kind of a, a a better result in the end and a better draft class and whatnot. But that's, again, it's a gamble. This whole thing is, is a serious gamble by Robert Kraft saying... Let's take out the best head coach of all time, keep everything else essentially status quo for the time being, at least. Uh, and that's what will get us back to to where we need to be uh, again. Maybe it works out, but uh, and maybe again, the, there there is still time for them to to make some changes in the front office. And Kraft did say that they're going to interview some external candidates at some point. But to me, the sense I got from from his answers to some of those questions was his preference would be to not bring in an outsider to run the personnel department. Uh, it seems like it's basically going to going to be, I want to see if our guys can do it. And if they can't, then we'll bring somebody else in. But uh, it did seem like he wants to keep as much continuity there as possible. Yeah, it's like, hey, guys, now if we really collaborate instead of fake collaborate like they did, remember when they were making that draft pick a couple of years ago, I think it was Mac Jones, but yep. they're talking about, hey, if we really collaborate, we'll get this right. It was just the Belichick guys, the problem, which... I'm sorry, like, I refuse to believe that Belichick was the the only problem in the front office, and now you have everybody but Belichick still here as of right now, which to me, it's just, I, that could be really a cause for a concern. And the Matt Groh thing, he had that awful press conference, too. Remember that, Zach? That was, like, yeah. epic. You want fast guys, you draft Taekwon. You want tough guys, you draft Cole Strange. Like, it was, that thing was... Horrible. And the Cole Strange pick looks horrible now, too. I know he, unfortunately, was dealing with an injury, but it's he's older, too. I mean, he's not like a young player for when he was drafted. All right, so Mayo also said he's deciding whether to open up an offensive coordinator search, and he's evaluating the staff that he inherited. So I think this, in one sense, it's a good thing because Bill O'Brien, I ran through it last week at some point on one of my pods, he's never had a top 10 scoring offense as a play caller, if you will, outside of the year with Tom Brady. That's it. Even with Deshaun Watson, never had a top 10 offense in terms of scoring. And look, he had some quarterbacks in there that were not the best. The Brian Hoyers of the world, right? Brian Fitzpatrick's of the world. So like, I, I understand that. But I also was not impressed with Bill O'Brien this season. Everything was worse than Matt Patricia. And I think the offense was unorganized. I'm empathetic to the lack of personnel. And we know all the drama that was going on with the coaching staff and all that. But I also think, OK, it's a good idea to at least evaluate that. But in the same sense, like 
when is O'Brien going to find out? Because even though I'm not the biggest Bill O'Brien fan, I do almost feel like this is unfair to him because he may be looking at it like, okay, if I'm not the offensive coordinator, like I, I got to try to find a position, like latch on with a different head coach or somebody that's going up for a job. Like I, I do feel like they kind of have to let Bill O'Brien know relatively quickly here, or he's going to be sitting there and not have a job. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Uh, I think Mayo did say he wants to move ASAP in getting this staff fully constructed. Um, It it is still relatively early. I think he pointed this out as well. He's only had the job for uh, about a week now, less than a week. I think somebody, I believe it was Jeff Howe over The Athletic, reported that the Patriots coaches are also on vacation this week. So maybe Uh. it's something that he doesn't want to bring everybody back in and, and start that whole process right now. Uh, but yeah, it's something that they they need to get in place as quickly as possible, especially on the offensive side. Because I think with defense, uh, they have a little bit more continuity, and and the the feelings on that side of the ball certainly are are quite a bit better than they are on offense after those the way that those respective units performed this season. But I mean, rebuilding this offense needs to be uh, essentially the number one priority this off season and figuring out one, who is going to lead that and two, how you're going to get the personnel in place to, to get it to the level that it needs to be. I, I'm sort of split on Bill O'Brien. I, I don't think it's kind of weird to say, given how terrible the Patriots offense this year was. Uh, I don't, uh, I think they could bring back Bill O'Brien and make some changes, maybe let him build out his own staff. And I think you still could have some pretty good results. Uh, I don't didn't come out of the season saying, they absolutely have to get rid of Bill O'Brien. Uh, now, maybe they will make that change. And if uh, I'm not kind of pounding the table for him to stay, uh, but I think it's still a possibility that they could retain him uh, and improve this season. Uh, but it would make sense to to cast a wide net there as well. Uh, we don't know what kind of offensive scheme Mayo is envisioning for this team. We don't know if he wants to keep kind of the general Belichick esque offense wants to go in a different direction wants to kind of rebuild everything from the ground up Uh, like i said earlier we didn't really get a ton of concrete answers on how he wants to solve a lot of these problems Uh, it was notable to me though when he was asked about the offense and he really stressed that they need to establish some leaders on that side of the ball this offseason which again similar to those comments earlier suggests that they did not have the proper leadership on that side Uh, Some of that is probably coaching based, but the way that his answers sounded to me, it sounded more player driven. It was guys got to be here in the weight room. Guys got to be kind of driving their teammates. Guys got to be setting a good, good example, all all of those kind of things. And obviously you, you look right there at, at Mac Jones, the Patriots, one of the Patriots offensive captains. He was in the room today. I don't know how he felt about uh, some of, some of those comments, but yeah, uh, yeah, it, it seems like Mayo's, one of Mayo's priorities is going to be saying, hey, these are the three to four people that we need to carry our offense from an on-field and an off-field perspective and kind of installing them, letting them know that that is their role uh, and really finding people that they can rely on throughout the season, uh, which they obviously haven't been able to do to with too many players outside of maybe David Andrews. I thought it was bizarre that Mac was there. It's like, you're probably not going to be on the team, man. <laughs> like, what are you doing there? It'd be one thing if... It was, say, like an offensive coach that was named the new coach and Matt got along with him. Like, okay, but 
I'm sure, like, he doesn't interact with Mayo on a daily basis. I just thought that was weird that he was there. It's like, you're not going to be the quarterback of the Patriots next year, man. But to your point on Bill O'Brien, I think it would be, like, Kraft brought him back here from Alabama, and, of course, he's from the area. I would be surprised if he's not the coordinator next season. And that's not me endorsing Bill O'Brien. Like I said, I've had issues with him. But I would be surprised if he's not the coordinator. Speaking of that, on the defensive side, we got the reporting earlier in the week from... Albert Breer, that Steve Belichick and Brian Belichick have been offered jobs at the Patriots. Now, Mayo was asked about that, but it was like part of like a four-part question. So he didn't yeah, really he never get... got to the never got to the answer there. Yeah, and that was the best question out of the four <laughs> questions. He never got back to that. I just look at it from the perspective of I my hunch is that my guess, like most people, is that Steve and Brian go wherever Bill goes, and Steve's the defensive coordinator for whatever team Bill Belichick's coaching next season. That'd be my guess. So if that does happen, and if you disagree, let me know. But does that mean that he elevates Demarcus Covington to defensive coordinator? Is then Mayo taking on calling the plays? Because we know that was Steve Belichick last year. I'm not saying Mayo can't do it, but that's a lot of inexperience on the defensive side in terms of defensive play calling if Steve Belichick does go somewhere else. But I'm guessing that would be the plan to elevate Covington, right? And then have whether, depending on who's, I don't know who's going to call the defensive plays whether it's mayo or covington yeah it was interesting that report about the the two belichick sons i agree with you i think the most likely outcome with that is them going to follow bill wherever he goes next uh but that's just my own kind of opinion hunch on that just kind of assuming that they would want to continue coaching uh with their dad wherever that happens but I do know that Mayo and Steve Belichick are very close. They've been close for a long time. They've worked very closely together for the last couple of years. Uh, I don't know whether this offer was a, hey, I really want you guys to stay, like trying to convince them to stay on staff or saying, hey, look, I love working with you guys. I know you might go with Bill, but like the job is here if you want it, that kind of thing. I don't know the kind of intensity of it from, from Mayo's perspective. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that they have already either interviewed or or scheduled an interview with, I can't remember if it's happened or not yet, with one outside defensive coordinator candidate, uh, the DC uh, over at BC, uh, Tim, I can't remember how to pronounce his last name. He's been around the league for a long time. Uh, so that tells me that they're at least exploring um, hiring a, a coordinator from outside of the organization. It may be part of uh, the process, just if you name an official defensive coordinator, you have to you have to interview at least one minority candidate from outside of the organization. So even if you did want to promote Demarcus Covington and officially install him as the install him as the defensive coordinator, I believe you would have to go through that step. Um, so maybe it's part of the process. Maybe it's Mayo actually looking to to kind of beef up his staff with people who from outside of New England. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much of a active role he takes on the defensive side mayo um if he's more of a kind of ceo type head coach who has a defensive coordinator that is in charge of the defense offensive coordinator that's in charge of the offense and he sort of runs the whole show or if he's still going to be kind of intimately involved uh in the day-to-day -day on the defensive side yeah and we've seen it work both ways like mike mcdaniel came from the Niners and he wasn't calling plays there. And now he's like one of the best play callers in the NFL. And he's also the head coach. I mean, the same thing can be said. Actually, I think I can't remember if Sean McVay at the end in Washington was calling plays or not, but we've seen it happen before where a guy 
becomes head coach, becomes a play caller as well. And maybe it would work out for me. I rather him not call plays just because I think first year head coach, youngest coach in the NFL, at least as of now, unless somebody younger gets hired, like that's a lot of responsibility with the in-game decision stuff as well. So I rather it be the other way. And I do think Steve, like that would be a legit loss. I mean, I know people like to say, oh, well, it's Bill's kid. Well, I mean, he's pretty good at his job. And also, like, you think about, I heard Devin McCourty say this. I think it was on EI or it was EI or the Sports Hub. I think it was EI, actually, now that I think back. But McCourty was saying that, like, Steve's good at his job. Like, Steve, yeah. and, and it feels like people like Steve. So that would be a big loss. So we'll have to monitor that. And then the other thing I, I wanted to mention from the press conference Jonathan wasn't there, and Robert said he was dealing with something else. And there's been a lot of reporting recently about the Crafts and Belichick, etc. So he was asked about like Jonathan's involvement, and he said he's not involved in the day to day. Do you have any like worries about Jonathan Kraft? Because now it seems like this stuff is starting to get out there more and more with Jonathan. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I think it all goes back to the the fact that we don't know what the exact kind of hierarchy is going to look like uh, Robert Kraft did say pretty clearly, I think it was late near the end of his press conference that they don't plan on being involved in football decisions outside of kind of drastic circumstances, like a, a Christian Peter type situation. Like basically if somebody, I think he said some, if someone does something that's against their kind of moral code, then they'll step in and, and do something right. about it. But he basically said that they're not going to be involved in, Hey, Gerard, let's go pick up this quarterback in the second round and anything like that. Um, but yeah, there has been a fair amount of reporting out there lately about whether Jonathan Kraft's role might change or, or kind of expand or evolve in any way. Uh, I thought it was interesting that a couple of minutes after the press conference, Phil Perry uh, over at NBC Sports Boston uh, tweeted out that Robin Glazer, who's one of the kind of Kraft group folks, uh, is moving into a new job as the executive vice president of football business and senior advisor to the head coach. Uh, don't really know what senior advisor to the head coach means. Yeah. Uh, I assume it means something significantly different with Mayo than it would with Belichick when someone like Matt Patricia was in that role. Um, so yeah, uh, again, all goes back to the fact that it's going to be very interesting to see how the crafts structure everything around Gerard Mayo, because we know they wanted Gerard Mayo. We know they wanted him to be him to be head coach. But at this point, we're still pretty in the dark uh, about what the entire apparatus around him is going to look like. Yeah, that is that is fascinating to see kind of how this whole thing is going to play out. And so I wanted to get to this quickly, because if you think about it now, at least I'm not the only one that thinks this, but obviously the most important thing is to find the next great Patriots quarterback, right? I mean, you think about Nick Casario is probably out of a job in Houston if he doesn't nail the C.J. Stroud pick like he nailed that and. They got made fun of for trading up, too, to get Will Anderson as well. Actually, I think technically Stroud was third and Anderson was second. But the point is they were going to take those two guys back to back. And they find their quarterback of the future and everything's good. Houston won a playoff game. So that, to me, is like the most important thing philosophically. Obviously, they need to add weapons. I'll keep saying it in every pod. Maybe somebody hears me or go sign T. Higgins and then get your quarterback. So I do wonder, like, I feel like the most obvious thing Number three, Jaden Daniels is there, take him. If Drake May's there, take him. As long as you like both those guys, right? Like, I mean, if they are really low on Jaden Daniels, they don't do it. But I I keep saying on the pod, Zach, I've gone back. I'm watching all this Jaden Daniels stuff. Like, this guy's impressive. I really like him. But I wonder now, like, philosophically, 
is a is a fields trade like on the table now for the Patriots because I know they weren't like super high on fields when he was coming out but maybe that changes now that we now have this collaboration right maybe some people within the organization actually do like fields I don't know but so from a quarterback thing do you think the most likely scenario is they just take a quarterback with a third overall pick or do you I mean I know they're going to exhaust all options but usually you don't see a lot of great options out there right like fields isn't even going to go for a first round pick I think that's most likely uh, the most likely scenario. It's all going to depend, going to depend, and this is why the next two months or so are going to be so crucial. If they look at this draft and say, "We would like Caleb Williams, Drake May, or Jaden Daniels," all three of those guys are players we would pick at number three. We are confident, we are guaranteed that we'll be able to get at going that that at least one of them is going to be available at that spot. Then that can really shape your whole offseason because. You know you're going to be getting that highly drafted quarterback. You don't need to go out in free agency and potentially swing a trade for Fields, try to sign Kirk Cousins, do one of those other kind of veteran starter type moves. Uh, I do still think it would make sense to get a better, uh, kind of more experienced veteran backup, but that's a lot easier to do. Uh, If they don't like one of them, or if they're saying, uh, if they, they view a huge gap between Williams and May and then Daniels or Williams and Daniels and then May or maybe they just think Caleb Williams is head and shoulders over the the other two candidates then it really influences how they kind of shape this offseason uh, and Jaden Daniels is obviously the, the big wild card in this uh, came into the season basically as a, a day three type prospect now he's up in the top five conversation uh, I know that he's not a, a lock to go there at this point I still see some uh, prominent analysts who know what they're talking about, kind of saying he may end up slipping down into the kind of uh, in closer to the 10 range, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Uh, it's all going to depend on how he performs at the combine and in these pre-draft interviews and pro days and all that whole process. That's just going to get started right now. But I think that's the cleanest and easiest and most likely path. Take a quarterback at number three, figure out the other things uh, with your other available assets. And if you look at it, you can see a a world in which the Patriots follow a similar track to the Texans next season. If yep. they do find their quarterback, say they take Jaden Daniels at three and he becomes something similar to what CJ Stroud was this year. You've got a, a first year head coach who was a former player uh, in D'Amico Ryan's Gerard Mayo defensive player uh, had never done the job before, but super highly respected uh, by players and coaches around the league and you got some pieces, especially on the defensive side. I know the Patriots need to add some more talent offensively, uh, and and Houston is ahead of them in that area right now. But it's a it's a blueprint that the Patriots, I think, can follow. Uh, but obviously, the big thing they have to get is the quarterback. And I think the easiest way to get one of those uh, is to use that three over number three overall pick uh, on that spot. Yeah, and like you look at that Texans team too. Yes, they had Laramie Tunsil at left tackle, but like the weapons, those guys weren't like guarantees. Like Tank Dell had a great season before the injury. Nico Collins is a stud, but nobody knew Nico Collins was going to be this good, right? Dalton Schultz has had a good year for them as well. And part of that is like they have a really good quarterback. When you have a really good quarterback, it helps all these things. And if Jaden Daniels is that guy, like I was, I think that he should go there and run. Like, I think that now, like, running the 40, that only enhances your draft stock. If we see, like, a guy set the record at the quarterback position for the 40-yard draft, we know nowadays, like, having that running ability, it elevates your floor like it helps you. So I hope it's Jaden Daniels now. I just, 
I can't wait to see like how this whole thing plays out because I do feel like you're you're probably not going to be there again, right? And if the quarterback class next year is not as good as this year, like you better make sure that you don't pass on a guy and then next year you're in a position where hey, maybe Shador Sanders is the number one pick. You don't have the number one pick. So are you sold on uh, Quinn U- uh, Ewers from Texas or some of these other guys are going to be coming out? But I mean, if they nail that pick, like this whole thing changes. And also, like Mayo's job becomes significantly easier if he actually gets that guy. Yeah, and obviously you don't, you can find quarterbacks outside of the first round and certainly not every quarterback drafted in the first round is going to hit. Uh, the high likelihood is at least one, maybe two of Williams, May and Daniels is going to flop, going to end up not becoming anything in the NFL. Uh, but it's so much easier to find a quarterback when you have one of those premium draft picks. You look at the hit rate on quarterbacks as you go down each round, it dwindles and dwindles and dwindles. Once you get down to round three or four, it's basically like one out of every 20 guys becomes even a right. respectable pro. So uh, the odds of finding that level of talent that you need to win in the modern NFL is so much easier and so much kind of the odds of you being able to find one is so much higher when you're picking that high up in the draft. And if you're the Patriots, you hope you're not picking that high again for a very long time. So uh, I'm with you. I think if they like one of the quarterbacks there, that's the, the obvious play for them. Yeah, and with the Patriots, too, like, you have a lot of good defensive personnel. You have Christian Gonzalez coming back, and Christian Barmore turned into a stud down the stretch of the season. So that's something good looking forward with this team as well. All right, before I let you go, i got to ask you about Belichick. So Jeremy Fowler had a report that Belichick wants a talented but underachieving team, which I think that's, like, most of the good teams that would have a job available, right? Like, unless it's, like, a complete rebuild, so... Count Carolina out. We've never going to take the Carolina job to begin with, but Atlanta could be in that. And we're still waiting as of right now. It's, what, 4.15 as we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. Mike McCarthy has not been fired yet. Nick Sirianni has not been fired yet, but those jobs could open up. Those would qualify, right? Especially considering what happened with Philly down the stretch and Dallas can't win a playoff game. And then the Chargers would also fit into this category as well. The Falcons to... Also, they interviewed Harbaugh, which I do wonder if this is a play by Arthur Blank, like, hey, Bill, we really want you, but we have other candidates out there as well. They seem like they definitely want to get a big name head coach, and they zeroed in on Bill right away, but now they've talked to Harbaugh. Harbaugh's going to have other options. It feels like the Chargers job is his if he wants it. That's at least how it feels. I mean, he's got Herbert's endorsement reportedly already as well. So what do you think's the best landing spot for Bill? And you can throw the Cowboys and the Eagles in this as well, because I feel like it's a matter, who knows, but it feels like those jobs are going to be open. We don't know for sure, but what do you think's the most likely and what do you think's the best? I guess I should ask it that way. Yeah, I think talented and underachieving is on a banner outside of uh, Cowboys Stadium down there in, <laughs> in Arlington. That's basically how you would describe the Cowboys for the last 15, 20 years. Uh, I think Dallas would be awesome just from a, one, from a storyline perspective, you get Bill Belichick going to probably the most famous franchise overall in NFL history. Uh, and just to see what he would be able to do with a roster like that, I think it's a very appealing spot from a, uh, again, from a roster standpoint, from a talent standpoint. It's a question of whether he's going to be able to deal with Jerry Jones doing Jerry Jones things. But according to all reports, he does have a pretty good relationship with Jerry and Stephen Jones. So maybe that would mitigate some of the kind of undercutting that Jones tends to do to his head coaches. Uh, I think that is the most fun spot 
And I think that's the spot that he would be set up the best to win right away, which I think is probably his number one goal going through this. He wants that record. He doesn't want to do a a total rebuild by any means. Uh, Obviously, the organizational structure is going to have to work out uh, in his favor. And and certainly from a financial perspective, I can't imagine he's going to go to a team that's not willing to pay him what he believes he's worth. But uh, I think the Cowboys make a lot of sense. I think the Falcons make a lot of sense. They just they don't have the quarterback. Uh, I think that is a uh, a big issue uh, when you're looking at head coaching jobs. Uh, maybe they're able to get that you know, during the draft. Maybe they sign Kirk Cousins. Maybe they do something like that. But uh, I think the quarterback question there would give me a little bit of pause if I'm Bill Belichick. Obviously, you got basically everything else covered, especially on that offense. But that's a it's a very difficult kind of puzzle piece to to stick in there. I feel like with the Chargers, if that was going to happen, I feel like it would have happened like immediately since there have been so many kind of so much speculation tying Belichick to the Chargers really for for months now saying, oh, that's the obvious landing spot for him. Uh, and we haven't really uh, it, that wasn't something that's that's happened or really been even hinted at since he's been on the open market. Uh, I don't know. I think every team that has a head coaching vacancy should be interested in, in Bill Belichick at the very least. Uh, but I think if I'm ranking him, I would still put Dallas at the top of the list, uh, even though, again, as you mentioned, it is not yet opened. And I don't think uh, I haven't seen any know, updates since we've Twitter. been recording here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you, man. I The Cowboys thing would be so awesome because it would be. When Brady went to Tampa, obviously that was an irrelevant franchise. Brady made it relevant, and we were watching Brady games every week. Like, we had two games every week to watch and talk about, and I do feel like, can you imagine, like, next year the Patriots draft Jaden Daniels, they get the new head coach in Gerard Mayer, you're watching that game at 1, and then at 425 every week you get to watch Dallas on Fox, and maybe, I don't know what's going on with Tom Brady in the Fox situation, right? But Tom Brady's calling the game, and Bill Belichick's coaching the Cowboys. I just feel like that would be so awesome if he's coaching the Cowboys, because they play, they're nationally televised every week. We get to watch them every week. Yeah, they'd be in primetime. They'd probably change the rules to put them in primetime more often than they're allowed to this year. They'd have like nine primetime games next year. That would be awesome. Hey, any chance could, the Patriots now could be on Hard Knocks, right? Uh, they can't now. Uh, uh, or they could if they volunteered. they hired a new coach. If you have yeah. a first year, yes. Right. If, if Belichick had stayed, they would have been able to, the NFL would have been able to compel them to do it. Uh, but now they would have to volunteer for it. And I, uh, I can't see that happening, unfortunately. Uh, hopefully they'll, they'll end up doing it at some point because uh, it would be great to see that, uh, that behind the scenes look. But yeah, they cannot be forced to this year. All right, no doubt. All right, that is, I forgot about that. The new coach rule makes mm-hmm. the Patriots not, they don't have to be in the, at least the pool of teams that would do hard knocks next season. All right, that is Zach Cox. Zach, thanks so much for the time, man. Exciting off season ahead. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. Thanks for having me. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. Great stuff, of course, from Zach Cox, as always. Always enjoy chatting about the Pats with Zach. So, Jamie, before we call it a night here, let's get to this. I'm going to pose you this question. Mm. What's worse? Tom Warner's explanation for full throttle. Okay. Greg Popovich's coaching job this year of the San Antonio Spurs, okay. or the Cowboys bringing back Mike McCarthy? Oh, man, Brian. It's a tough one. You put me it's on a great question. Here. It's a good one. I mean, look, biasly, I'll go with Tom Warner. That pissed me off. I mean, it's just, 
where to begin? Where to begin with those comments? But I just, the thing that really stands out to me, Brian, is this idea of like a competitive team. They act like this is some lofty goal to be competitive. Did you see he had the gall to say, well, we were pretty competitive until the All-Star break last year. It's like, big fucking deal. You were good. You were okay for two months. And he had the gall to mention that. It's like, they're basically telling you, like you said, what they what they mean. They want to be able to sell September tickets, which means being competitive until that. Beyond that, they don't give a shit. But it's like they don't even talk about winning World Series anymore. It's just competitive. Yeah, they just want to be competitive. Man, isn't that good enough for you, Jamie? Just say, let's have a competitive Christ. team. This is the same organization that was in an arms race with the Yankees for free agents back in the early 2000s. They over. won world championships that way. They built a great farm system with Theo Epstein, etc., they won World Series in 13 and 18, and now we're hoping to be competitive and we're lying to the fan base about being in on free agents. I still can't believe he had the balls to say we thought we were in on Yamamoto. Like, come on, man. Nobody thought you were in on Yamamoto. Like, literally, it was never reported like, oh, yeah, the Red Sox have interest. That's it. They're the interest kings, right? That's all they do is, hey, they're interested in certain players, right? That's what, that's what we get out there from reporting. But nobody thought he was actually legitimately considering coming to the Red Sox. Nobody did. No. I mean, it's, it's interesting because he's clearly, he listens to what the media is saying because he walked back these comments. But everything I've seen the last couple of years is everyone making fun of them for being in on free agents, but not actually signing them. And then he goes down and says the same thing about Yamamoto. I'm like, this is the number one criticism people have uh, said against you is you, you're all talk, but you don't actually sign guys. And this being the biggest example of it. Well, we, you know, we, we talked to him once, maybe. Yeah, I just, I feel like, and I tried to deny this for years selfishly because I wanted the team to be good. I just, they don't care as much as they used to. Like, that's it. They don't care, and they're lying to us about things now, and they're acting like, we think as a fan base, them telling us we were trying and we're trying to be competitive is going to be good enough for a Boston fan base. Like, I, I don't even understand. I feel like, and I said this at the top, like, you made yourself look worse trying to explain the full throttle comments. You basically use different language to try to explain the full throttle comment. It's pathetic. It's it's totally crazy. They asked him, they're like, well, you sell the most expensive seats in the MLB. So what are you going to do right. with the extra $40 million? And he didn't really have an answer. He's like, well, like you said, you know, it doesn't buy World Series trophies. Well, actually, like you mentioned, the Rangers went on a spending spree with Jordan Montgomery and won. And it's just... I don't, I don't, I don't really understand. Like you said, it's just sad at the end of the day. And I thought you had a good point with Balmer and stuff. I mean, scheduling conflicts. Well, maybe you reschedule winter weekend so your owner can be there. Yeah, this is your team, man. Like, what? what, what conflict do you have, right? And like, oh, it's, it's, it's so irritating to me. And then, like, you have Sam Kennedy that is the mouthpiece for the ownership group that was essentially saying, remember what he was saying about Heim Bloom? Not about Heim Bloom. He didn't directly say his name, but he said. We always have the resources. We just essentially misuse them. To paraphrase what he's saying, that was his point, is we have resources. We just misuse them. It's like, I don't agree with most of the stuff Bloom did. But to say that was the case all the time is just patently false. Well, that's a weird thing, though, too, because I, was, I read about it. They, they said, you know, they've more or less been like $7 million above or below the CBT in the past years, even with Haim. I mean, we famously didn't trade J.D. Martinez and finished in last and got the luxury tax, but... I just, I just, it's just very Bizarre. weird when you, when you look at the budget right now and they have $40 million basically sitting around. It's like, what are you going to do with that money? And 
I just read today, they're like, well, they're kind of in on Jordan Montgomery. Depends if they're willing to go three-plus years for a starting pitcher. I'm like, yeah, you might have to give him a three-year contract. He's like a premier free agent. It's like the only way they get anyone is if the market gets depressed or they look at Trevor Story's elbow and it's blown up so they can get like a discount on All-Stars. It's the only way they sign anyone these days. It's crazy. Yeah, it it feels like Montgomery is looking for a long-term deal, but even if that's the case, like you can be creative and look, if they do something along these lines, I'd be thrilled. Like you mm-hmm. can be creative and try to make a trade. Like yeah. and Craig Russell has come out multiple times and he said that he has to be willing to trade prospects, but we're still waiting on that. And look, that may happen down the road here, but as of right now, one of your biggest needs of the offseason you haven't done anything as it pertains to starting pitching and right-handed power. And that's the bottom line. Like you try your, and the one thing like it's going to be very difficult to improve is the defense. I mean, you're stuck with a yeah. lot of these guys. Like you're not trading Yoshida and Yoshida's a terrible defensive player. <laughs> Raphael <laughs> Devers is going to play third base. And that's something where if you look at it, it's, a, well, I guess I should say they added Grissom too, who, okay, that, yeah. that helps, but that was via trade with the Chris Sale situation. So they added Grissom, that, that's a good move, but we'll, I mean, we'll see. It's just like one of these things now where the defense was not, now getting story back and healthy, that's yeah, going to help. Yeah, that'll help. But I mean, really, if you think about it from a defensive perspective, you're still in, you still have major issues all over the diamond and that's something that it was going to be difficult to fix this because you have so many problems defensively the problems you can fix pitching and right-handed power you haven't really addressed those right so that's the thing that is irritating to me they said we're going to have a competitive team we plan to be competitive based like even being competitive based <laughs> look at your no division yeah. you have the blue jays the yankees got juan soto right mm-hmm. i mean the orioles just won the division and the rays are the race i mean the rays win games no matter what happens so I'd yeah. be scared. I like from the Dodgers. I'd be scared about that trade. They'll, they'll probably work out for the Rays too. So it's just <laughs> like, man, like you can you're allowed to participate in the off season. It's just it's aggravating. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned what they were 26 with right-handed home runs, and I think that includes Justin Turner's numbers, right? And he had like 25 of them. Yeah, and you can't really bring him back because he can't nice. DH. Like you don't have a spot to DH. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like you can't really DH him. No, I mean, I wish they had signed Hernandez to a one-year deal. Yeah. Well, the Dodgers, though, you know what? The thing with them is they were trying to be competitive, and they're actually competitive, you know? They actually landed these guys. You know what? They didn't land one guy. They landed three guys. It's crazy (laughs) how that works. And they added a guy in a trade, which is crazy. You know what I mean? Like, it's wild how one team can do all this. They can can add a bunch of guys. It's like, it kind of reminds me of... This team that I grew up watching in the early 2000s, the Boston Red Sox, they were a team that was similar when it comes to that. They used to be a team that was aggressive signing these guys. But anyway, I don't want to talk about the Red Sox anymore. They're <laughs> they're aggravating me right now. So I'm done for the night talking about the Red Sox, Jamie. That's healthy. Look, Celtics, 20 and out home. Be happy about that. Let's go. <laughs> By the way, how about this? We got a little so... I was thinking about this. The Patriots beat the Denver Broncos on Christmas Eve, right? Mm -hmm. Now we have Thursday night, Bruins against the Avalanche, and we have the Nuggets against the Celtics on Friday night. Wonder if any of the Nuggets will be at the Bruins game tomorrow night. Bruins Oh, interesting. In town a day earlier kind of thing. Yeah. They've been on the East Coast because they played Philly on Tuesday, mm. and their next game is against the Celtics. They didn't travel back to Denver. I mean, that would be stupid if they actually did. I can't imagine they did that, right? So they're probably 
they probably been in either stayed in Philly for a couple of nights or they went to Boston. So maybe they'll go to the game. Well, Brian, we got to get you in the garden tomorrow night. You got to spot uh, Jokic. Say what's up. Yeah, I'll see what's up with Jokic. I'll uh, say, hey, Nicola, why don't you have a, a couple of drinks here, man? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, have a couple of drinks. Another, Mix a couple of adult beverages in, you know, so he's, hu- yeah, so he's hung over for the game. <laughs> I like that. It'll be fun, though, Friday. I'm excited for that game. Yeah, I am too. I'm I'm fired up for I'm fired up to see it, man. Try to get to twenty one and zero. All right, Jamie. Good stuff, man. Thank you, Brian. Good night. All right. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. The plan is to record after the Celtics and the Nuggets on Friday night. I mean, if we get breaking Belichick news, obviously we'll record before them, but that's the plan as of now. We'll record after the Seas and the Nuggets on Friday night. Cannot wait. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus in president select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia or call one 800 522 4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.